This episode of Minding Your Amygdala is about mental health awareness. Are we truly aware or is that just a phrase? I'm looking around at the world today and I'm thinking, wow, we really need to have a better understanding of what mental health is and what it's not. Stay tuned for this episode of Finding Your Amygdala. Hey creators, welcome to Minding Your Amygdala, the brain, body, and behavior podcast where you'll learn to awaken to your emotions, get informed about your biology, and motivated to use skills to improve your mental health. I'm your host, Dr. Lana, America's one and only trauma psychiatrist. Do you recognize the critical importance of emotions and mental health? Do you want to know more about how to self-recover from trauma? Do you want to better understand the updated science about how our brain and body shapes our behaviors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you're in the right place. This podcast is focused on making complex brain science simple and usable. You'll learn the six primitive brain systems predictably programmed by trauma and empathy skills practice, my unique methodology that can help you improve your own T, thoughts, emotions, and actions. I'm the skills over pills doc, but I'm also a mama three, a busy entrepreneur, and a human being trying to make it through multiple global pandemics just like you. Minding Your Amygdala will teach you transformative ways that you can approach your day-to-day life, and I'll give you strategies to break free from the trauma cycle. All right, let's get started. Hey, 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 creators, it's Dr. Lana, and once again, we are here to explore mental health and its relationship to psychological trauma. In this particular episode, it has shifted over time as I've really tried to think about what is the best way to honor October as Mental Health Awareness Month. And I originally was going to come on and do an explanation of some of the common conditions that we think about when we think of mental illness, like major depression, ADHD, PTSD, schizophrenia, dementia, bipolar disorder, and then my brother Kanye. (laughs) My brother Kanye, my brother Kanye is out here having another episode. And I thought it would be a great opportunity for us to really dive into mental health from the standpoint of Um, not just awareness, but awareness only comes with education. And one of the most striking things that I hear when I'm listening to us try to problem solve all of the difficulties that people are facing in society and we're asking ourselves, do do we need more laws? Do we need more police? Do we need more, uh, do we need more church? And it is a huge gap when we do not talk about and acknowledge mental health, emotional health, and wellness 
as the core issue underlying much of the crime that we see, much of the political upheaval, much of the denial of reality that we see in so many people is about mental health. And so I wanted to take this episode really to think through mental health from an individual-centered standpoint. Because I think that when we get stuck in all of the external problems that people are facing, and we know that there are many, it removes our internal ability to focus on what can the individual person do that is most likely to improve their mental health and wellness. I think we have to shift from thinking that mental health is for those folks over there, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm air quoting here. We have this tendency to think of people who are, quote, patients as these far removed humans or individuals and not think of them as they are just like you and I. They are just like me. Um, they have biology and a brain that is challenging them at all turns and <laughs> taking in information, kicking out conclusions, creating powerful invisible surges and urges in them. And that is by definition our mental health landscape as human beings. Now, for sure, people do have specific illnesses and specific challenges that they will face. But let's just look at the barrier to mental health access and mental health treatment. We currently operate in a way that you only really get into the system when there's a problem or when there's a perceived problem. Most people don't even recognize that the, their life experiences and many of the things that they've gone through actually were traumatic. Their, the language is not used. They're often not validated in those traumas. And in fact, because trauma is so baked into the fabric of our society, many of the things that we think of as, you know, it's just the world, it's just tough, it's just rough out there. Uh, the, these are the things that people do. Many of those strong generalized and stereotyped beliefs are the product of being immersed in an environment so full of trauma that it is not being recognized by the people experiencing it. So the first barrier to mental health treatment is even recognizing that you have a mental health landscape that may need some addressing. Um, somebody told me today that when they have typically thought about psychiatrists and what psychiatrists do, they don't tend to think about what we do as associated with the physical body. Uh, they gave the example of, you know, when they think of a nephrologist, uh, a kidney doctor, they are thinking that those that doctor is dealing with numbers and uh, science and things on the paper that can be uh, seen and interpreted but they think of psychiatry as something that is not attached to the physical body, more of uh, a lot of years of training and philosophy. 
And to be honest, many people, they didn't think of mental health that way. I remember uh, over 20 years ago when I became interested in psychiatry, I thought of it as a bunch of old white, gray haired white men sitting around hypothesizing and talking about stuff. And don't get me wrong, there's that, there is that too. But it was very um, connected to the brain and the brain systems and the circumstances that every person faces. So I think the first barrier to true mental health awareness is breaking through this stigma that you don't have any mental health stuff going on. <laughs> Listen, my friend, if you are alive on Earth 2020, <laughs> in this particular millennium at this time, riding on this particular spaceship, this planet we call Earth, you are experiencing loads of psychological trauma. You have been steeped in it and it is baked into the fabric of your life. So being able to recognize that every human being on Earth experiences some traumatic things, this is something that we can't get around, that also to me is encouraging because that means we can break the stigma. Why feel a stigma about something that everyone has, everyone will experience, it's a part of life, and then being able to integrate that into the concept of mental health is a core component for each of us to take care of. Now, moving forward, I want to touch on the fact that right now we have what I call misinformation. <laughs> Myth, so many myths about emotional health, mental health, wellness, that it is almost difficult to distinguish what is true. Um, it saddens me many times when I hear even skilled therapists and mental health practitioners when they don't have a full answer or description for something. Um, I know what we've been taught to do is reach into our religious belief systems and put labels that define things as evil or bad. But the challenge that I have is that when I really understand these primitive brain systems and how they drive human behavior, I have a hard time finding places where those brain systems are not responsible for what is going on in that person, in that mental health. We have common language that says things like, you make me mad. She's pissing me off. Even in our general conversations, we regularly call names, call each other uh, harsh names or outside of our names. Our regular discussions typically turn into back and forth that doesn't create true resolution. Humans are extremely emotional creatures, all of us. And all of us have, if we have a working brain, we have amygdalas, the part of our brain that creates our emotions, a whole limbic system that's the part of our brain that integrates our emotions with all the rest of our systems. And just the fact that knowing how our brain works and knowing that whether we're talking about ADHD, PTSD, bipolar disorder, depression, or anything else, 
it is coming from the brain. It's coming from areas of the brain being hyperactive, areas of the brain being underactive, areas of the brain sometimes miscommunicating or not forming the chemicals and connections and other things that are needed for the brain to help the individual make clear and logical decisions. And so what happens with these conditions is that we use language that is stigmatizing, damaging, artificial, and ignorant. Ooh, it's <laughs> a lot of adjectives. And what I, what I mean by that, just an easy example, is how often people say, oh, the weather is so bipolar, right? To describe the weather going from hot to cold or having some other significant change. And that is just one of many throwaway statements that we make about mental health. We think of tears as weak or bad or feminine uh, when tears are a human function that is ingrained in all of us, that is designed to be able to express important spiritual communication, otherwise known as emotions, being able to access and understand the full range of your emotions is a gift. It's not something that, as we have been often taught, should be ignored, pushed away, uh, not thought about, removed from the picture. I mean, think about how many times we say we want to make a logical decision without the emotions in it. Guess what? That is impossible. (laughs) It's impossible because our brain integrates emotional content with every single decision that we make. It is inseparable to think of yourself as separate from those invisible parts of you, your thoughts, your beliefs, your emotions, your mind, your your imagination. The components of you that you cannot see are very real and they are attached to components of you that are inside of your brain. We'd have to crack you open to see them, but they in fact are there. So um, what gives us such a huge blind spot for mental health? I think the combination of so many years and so many ages of ignoring the emotions of the situation. I mean, you have to think about the way that that human society has developed starting in Africa, what we now call Africa, migrating out across the earth, changing into with the pressures of the environment into so many different uh, humans that we now think of as different races, but is in actuality, different ethnicities and cultures. That huge blind spot is there because if we really were connected emotionally and paying attention and empathizing with the other people that we interact with, meaning not just understanding them emotionally, but putting ourselves in their experience, in their thought processes, in their background, thinking of it with their skill set, not our own, we would have a much better ability to appreciate that we are all struggling with mental health. I can't tell you how many people I've hearing, I'm hearing say, I am so tired. Yes, we have survived COVID. We survived two years of a really painful environment, uncertainty, 
uh, entire shifts in our economy. Um, there's chaos in our systems. Those are very real experiences that we have shared as a human race. And if we were truly to stop and process our emotions, we'd have to take a whole <laughs> global week of, of mourning and just stop and cry. <laughs> like really, and really think about why we are this way and then maybe come back together and reset ourselves. Here's my explanation of why we are missing these true mental health awareness. We have criminalized the interpretation of what we would think of as mental health. The communities that have experienced the most trauma in this country, the Native American communities, the African American and Afri those of African descended communities, yes, of course, Latino communities and, and other immigrant communities, every immigrant community faces the challenge of their neighbors not accepting them and treating them fearfully, whether it's because they speak a different language and, and they, that that triggers folks that made the list when they can't understand what other people are thinking or doing. Maybe they worship another religion or wear clothing that is different. And humans don't do well with our internal discomforts. There's nothing that we, <laughs> that we dislike more than internal pain and internal friction, uh, fear and confusion. And so we interpret other people as being crazy or being strange or weird or damaged. And in our interpretation of people's behaviors, oh, they're, they're a criminal. They're stealing, they're robbing, they're shooting. They're doing drugs or selling drugs. All of those conditions and choices come from something that that person is responding to the programming that they have received in their life that has driven them to the space where they would be making the decisions that they're making at all. We have prisons full of people who were traumatized, acting out in that trauma, and then having no support from or empathy and understanding from the environment often end up cycling and circling down deeper and deeper into a system that's designed to trap people so that it can continue to make money and keep the industrial complexes churning along. Whew. I know it's deep, but not but, and, and I think that is also why it is so important to truly begin to have proper language for some of these mental illnesses. So I wanted to dive into a little bit of what it means to have what we call bipolar affective disorder, because right now there's a lot of conversation out there about Kanye, or who has officially changed his name to Ye, so I will refer to him by his chosen, <laughs> by his chosen pronoun, <laughs> which is chosen now. Um, what's wrong with Ye? Ye has basically said very clearly that he has bipolar disorder. So I've never seen him 
I've never treated him. I'm saying this with the caveat of what he has expressed in his music and has expressed in interviews because I'm a fan. I am a Kanye West fan. I will be a Kanye West fan (laughs) for life. I don't listen to all of Kanye's music, but Kanye most definitely has made transformative, pivotal music and has been uh, an important part of of even my relationship with hip-hop and with music. But that does not excuse the fact that when he is in these manic states, he has said very clearly that he is unable to truly discern reality, that he feels like other people are robots or plants or implanted to trap him or trick him. That's called paranoia. He has demonstrated visibly over the years, multiple times where he has had very public outbursts and meltdowns that and has in those, quote, meltdowns divulged painful information about his family and about his life and has acted in ways that continue to have people scratching their head. But what people do not see is that when a person has bipolar affective disorder, they are their brain is in a state of chemical chaos. <laughs> and I won't go into necessarily the details of that, but let's think about or or go back to what is bipolar disorder. Bipolar affective disorder is a condition where a person who may have had many depressive episodes previously in their life because often people who are diagnosed with bipolar disorder start off with having what we would call major depression episodes long before they may experience manic episodes. So I'll talk about the depression first. With depression, we tend to look at a person's mood. It can be sadness, but it doesn't always have to be sad and mopey. Many people are functionally depressed, but it comes out in their negativity about themselves, their thought process, the rest of the world. And often it's a shift in the person's uh, interest and their energy. Um, They may find themselves not wanting to engage with things, withdrawing, um, not having interest or pleasure in things that used to bring them pleasure. Sometimes the appetite can go way down. Sometimes the appetite can go way up. It really does depend on the person. But many people who eventually receive the bipolar diagnosis have experienced depression, oftentimes starting in their teens or early 20s. Now, in order to be diagnosed with bipolar disorder, you are supposed to be free of substances like alcohol, cocaine, marijuana, and any of the other mood-altering substances. Unfortunately, for many people, mood-altering substances are part of their everyday relationship with the world. And Kanye has talked about having a problem with alcohol and drinking too much and having consequences of outbursts. By the way, alcohol suppresses your prefrontal cortex, your CEO, that wonderful part of your brain behind your juicy forehead that helps make wonderful decisions for you. And that is why alcohol is called liquid courage, (laughs) because it suppresses the part of your brain that would talk you out of certain things and uh, helps you find some of that, uh, that bravery 
that uh, many people may need in order to overcome their amygdala. But nonetheless, when we're talking about bipolar disorder, often we're looking at this person and seeing a specific discrete change in their mood and personality when they have manic episodes. Manic episodes are characterized by a person's mood often becoming elevated or sometimes euphoric, sometimes happy, sometimes their moods can be uh, rapidly shifting and that can look like irritation and can look like um, anger episodes and outbursts as well. But most of the time, the person might talk faster. They may even be more pressured speech, like um, talking so fast sometimes that they almost can't even keep up with what they're thinking. So their, their communication is not as clear. They may bounce around topic to topic and not finish their thoughts completely because their brain is going so fast. They often interrupt people um, or often lose their own train of thought because their brain might be going so fast. Um, many times people who are having manic episodes can experience hyper-religiosity. And what we mean by that is that beyond their typical cultural practices, they may suddenly become more obsessed with God or uh, whatever their religious practice or beliefs are. Um, they may go from being uh, devout, going to church every Sunday, maybe participating even in um, daily services or deacon or something else, but going to, um, I had a gentleman who uh, broke all of the doors off of his closets and turned them, uh, chopped them into crosses and nailed them together and put crosses all over his house. That's an extreme example, but oftentimes people can cite feeling like they have a, a direct connection to God, uh, better downloads, more creativity, sometimes may even feel that they are uh, a, a messenger of past life. They may reference other scriptural characters and feel that they are living those experiences. These are just some of the symptoms that we use to evaluate whether a person may be experiencing a manic episode. Um, sleep is also a big indicator. Um, oftentimes, the person may be able to go without sleep for long periods of time, sometimes even days, weeks, or maybe have a reduced sleep cycle where they may only sleep one or two hours, three maybe, and then have, feel like they have excess energy. Um, this can also be taking on extra projects, um, doing more things, sometimes to the point of not completing those things. I Oftentimes, when people are in manic episodes, they may make impulsive decisions like spend a lot of money on a credit card, go out and buy a car they don't need, go to the casino and gamble away too much of their money, or make other impulsive decisions, sometimes having sexual relationships with people and doing things that they otherwise would not do when their body is not flush full of chemicals that are causing the imbalance. So all of that to say that we don't give the label of bipolar disorder lightly because it means that we are seeing manic or hypomanic, meaning some of those symptoms, but not in the extremes that I've described. And that would be the indication that the person should have the diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And it actually causes a shift in the medication approach and the therapeutic approach that we take when we're dealing with it, because that particular condition responds differently to medications that are traditionally used to treat depression, anxiety, and PTSD, what we would call antidepressants.
So once we have bipolar disorder, we go into the concept of mood stabilizers. But unfortunately, while we know that we have medications that can stabilize mood and keep people at least minimize some of their episodes and symptoms, those the consequences of that, people with um, who experience mania will often say afterwards, number one, they don't often remember clearly the events, the things that they said or did. Um, often families have to even show them videos and even then they may not believe it. And it may take away some of the creativity and other um, things that people who are especially in the creative arts don't like to lose. Um, I've treated many people who were musicians, um, who were actors, painters, and other uh, categories that especially found it difficult to resist the lure of the mania because the mania also opens up um, thought outside of what they would consider the normal pathways that can help them in their creativity. So there really is a major challenge to be faced with families because in particular in our country and in most places um, in our country, this is it is well um, respected or has been up until recently that a person has autonomy, autonomy over their body and over their own choices, meaning that whatever that person is deciding that even if it's a bad decision, even if the decision is influenced by uh, poor decision making, that unless they are an imminent danger to themselves, other people, or they are so mentally out of it that they're unable to keep themselves safe, there is very little that family members or others can do to help a person who's in that state be able to get the type of treatment that they often need, which is inpatient treatment, sometimes even medications that are ordered by a judge so that that person can be stabilized and be able to be back into their normal mental state. Um, I went through all of that to say that I hope that Kanye, I hope that Ye gets to treatment, gets to some mental health professionals that he trusts and that the people around him stop putting a microphone in his face, but really truly stop looking for the payoff and understand mental health and have true mental health awareness so that we don't continue to feed into a cycle of society where people just want to have an opinion and to feel feed their dopamine uh, by feed their addiction to being right and having uh, something to say about what someone else is doing. This is <laughs> a feature of our common mental illness of operating in a semi-delusional state, trapped in our biological bubble and subject mostly to what our primitive brain is presenting to us unless we wake up and learn how to take control of our own thought processes uh, by activating our prefrontal cortex. So you know what I'm talking about because you're here. You are in this space where you're listening to this Minding Your Amygdala podcast. And that tells me that you are interested in a better understanding of the world through a more aware lens. So thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Minding Your Amygdala um, dropping in October. 
where we truly are trying to raise the bar about having awareness of not just the mental health of others around us, but in particular, putting our thought process on ourselves, popping our psychological eyeballs out and watching ourselves with trauma in mind, stepping outside of your own ears and hearing yourself through the ears of your loved ones and your family and thinking about how every thought is creative. Every emotion that you have is creative. And this is why empathy, empathy for yourself, empathy for other people, being able to truly operate in love mode is the cure for psychological trauma. So thank you so much for joining today. You can learn more about me on dralana.com and follow me on social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all that good stuff. And you can donate to the Dr. Alana Trauma Recovery Institute, my nonprofit organization, by going to www.thetri.org. That's D-A-T-R-I.org. Thanks for tuning in.